I saw an article this morning. I saw a headline. I saw I saw it on the Drudge Report. It took me to theweek.com. The Week has this headline from Ryan Cooper, and i got to say, as a libertarian, this headline made me very, very excited. Trump is wrecking the government on his way out. And I thought, whoa, whoa, oh, really? Is Trump... Trump is finally proving his libertarian chops, actually going through and taking out some of these mechanisms of injustice. Is that could this could this possibly be the case? No, I'm afraid Ryan Cooper does little to substantiate the substance of this headline, except to say the government has become slightly less tailored to his liberal preferences. And I'm not trying to take a liberal conservative side in this. As a libertarian, I know that the purpose of government is to keep the super rich getting richer at the expense of the rest of us. So when I hear Trump is wrecking government on, on his way out, I'm thinking, okay, cool. Well, government, by definition, what, what, what is government? We, think, we haven't done this for a while. Let's stop and define government because we throw this term around a lot, especially the statists who love their government without taking the time to define it. And simply defining government allows you to recognize it, at least as we know it today, as the evil that it is. Because it, we, we use this term government, we throw it around as if it's just the people in charge. And in a sense, you know, I'm, I'm not against all government. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm quite pro-government when it comes to voluntary forms of government, forms of government that people choose to be a part of. But like student body government or organizational government, or even, uh, you know, the, the corporate governance, so to speak. Uh, although, when we live in a world of corporatism, can't really count that as voluntary. So, you, we, can, we can define government as the people in charge and say that, you know, with such a benign definition, perhaps, perhaps, uh, we, we can make government within that definition a good thing. We can, we can transition to no coercive systems of government. We can get rid of all of the unethical premises of government and create a voluntary society. We can we can advance that and maintain this institution of government. But when we have to define government today, what is government today? It is uh, a coercive monopoly on the use of force with a claimed authority in a given territory or a territorial monopoly, as it is sometimes described, on violence and aggression. And if that's the only definition that fits, you go, well, well government is, by definition, as we know it today, premise of violating individual rights, and it's doing unethical, like, it'd be one thing if it says, if, if I said, well, hey, my goal is to keep the super rich getting richer, because I, I think that they're, they, they know better than the rest of us. And, 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 you know, the super rich should have more power and control. And if, if that's the case, then you could do it voluntarily, you could do it in, in an ethical way, but that's not way it would be dumb <laughs> yeah, for a lot of reasons. No, decentralization, tapping the the common or the, the the collective wisdom, not collectivist wisdom, but the collective wisdom of everybody interacting freely and expressing their preferences, a creating a, a market for ideas as well as goods and services. So if you understand government that way. You go, wow, Trump. Maybe he, this is his, he's he's actually showing some ethical 
uh, inclinations. Instead of just being a tyrant who wants to force his will on everybody, now he's saying, let's take away the mechanism of control. And then I thought, wait a second, wait a second. What what happened to the size of the federal government under the Trump administration? Oh, yeah, it grew. It went up. It went up and up and up and up and up. Government grew in size and strength and power, and especially with Donald Trump's coronaphobia response, declaring a national state of emergency, promoting the, the, the government's responses, saying that, you know, we've, we've, we've done so much, and really, what has he done so much to do? Run up the national debt. Yes, thank you there, CJ. USDebtClock.org has the frightening numbers if you really want to see how badly you're getting screwed. But let's let's get to the delusions of Ryan Cooper with the week, shall we? Donald Trump lost the election, but he is going down swinging. Oh, that part's true. Aside from him and his party flagrantly attempting to overturn the election through ridiculous lawsuits or conspiracies to throw the votes out entirely, his administration is scrambling to entrench right-wing regulations and install Trump lickspittles throughout the various government departments. A lickspittle? I like, I like the, are we bringing back old-time? Is this an old-timey thing or is this a new thing? Old-timey insults? Damn, damn lickspittles on the right wing. They're the ones ruining this country. Now, okay, so scrambling to entrench right-wing regulations. Now, if, if you define right-wing as, you know, as, as I do, uh, fairly Republicans, Democrats, you know, offering Red flavored fascism versus blue flavored fascism. Uh, what are what are these right wing regulations? Just a different kind of corporatism. Uh, it's 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 really not I, I, as the headline would suggest wrecking the government to to say it's going to serve these corporate sponsors a little better than those corporate sponsors. So when he takes office, Joe Biden is going to face the government in smoking ruins. And I'm thinking like, wait, smoking ruins. Smoking ruins. That, that would suggest that the government has shrank in size? I mean, it's like step away from the sensational for, sensationalism for a second. A government in smoking ruins. Am I more free? Have taxes gone down? And remember, if government spending goes up, the money comes from somewhere. It comes from you. It comes from the American taxpayer one way or another, even if you don't see it directly. All the indirect taxes, all the debt, all the other ways that Government spending reduces your quality of life and your ability to keep what you earn, to, to spend it as you see fit. And so now, this government is smoking ruins. I'm thinking, like, well, how about the drug war? And as much as we saw drugs win the 2020 election, the DEA is still just as powerful. Uh, as as we, we learned, unfortunately, despite the uh, legalization of cannabis throughout the United States over the last few election cycles in the last several years. Drug arrests, even for simple possession, have gone up nationally. Uh, think about regulations. Is, is, is the Department uh, of Transportation any less funded? Does it have any less authority over our nation's highways? Do uh, did, did Medicare or Medicaid go anywhere? Social Security? The U.S. military? Has the U.S. Mil- I mean, a government in smoking ruins I don't know, I'm pretty sure our military is just, just as functional as it was before the election, unfortunately. Functional in carrying out the whims of the military-industrial complex through the American empire. Anyway, back to this delusional story. He will essentially have to rebuild the federal bureaucracy from scratch if he wants to achieve anything, no matter its political inflection. One hopes he's ready for the tasks. Task. One of the more prophetic books about the Trump era is The Fifth Risk. 
Part of the inspiration came when the author was laid up in bed recovering from a surgery after Trump won, where, quote, I started thinking about all the different ways he might kill me. Sure enough, when the worst disease pandemic in a century hit, Trump, Trump completely botched it, and at least a quarter million Americans and counting are dead. Trump botched it? I thought he declared a national state of emergency, diverted millions of dollars to the... Yeah, see, here's, here's the graphic. Trump Trump over literal smoking ruins of, of Washington, D.C., accompanying this article. I, I, I mean, have we really... I, I mean, aside from the, this... I, I think I've made it clear that, that the author of this story is delusional in, in, in thinking that Trump is actually... Reducing the power of, or has reduced the power of government in any meaningful way. But I have to step aside or step back and ask: Is this, is this the, the world that, that we live in? Is this, is this the true state of American politics? That a delusional narrative like this is, is really what is what, what is being promoted and consumed. People believe this. this now, this was on the top of the Drudge Report, and obviously Matt Drudge. Seems to have abandoned any any conservative principles guiding his journalism and gone very anti-Trump. But if this is this is the kind of drivel that he's he's promoting, uh, I, just uh, back to the story. That mountain of corpses is due not only to Trump's unprecedented level of incompetence, but his damage to the government. The federal government does all sorts of things virtually no one knows about to protect the American citizenry, or at least it used to before Trump got there in 2018. He disbanded a pandemic response team that had been in place since 2015 and 2019. He ended a $200 million pandemic advanced warning system. The LA Times reports this latter system had identified 1,200 different viruses that had the potential to erupt in the pandemics, including more than 160 novel coronaviruses. It also trained and supported staff in 60 foreign laboratories, including the Wuhan lab that identified SARS-CoV-2 and coronavirus that causes COVID-19. Despite his occasional heterodox leanings. Trump is incredibly lazy and has staffed his administration with mostly orthodox conservative ideologues. Now, this is where like, the, the definition of conservative has to be broken down. And I honestly, I don't know what the, which, which definition the, the, the other in his delusion here is attempting to refer to. Because uh, some people would say the conservative by its, by its direct definition means preservation of existing social institutions, which means that if, if you're an American and you're a conservative, by that definition, you're a, you're a fascist and a communist and a socialist because that's the status quo. Yes, we have the majority of the planks of the Communist Manifesto thoroughly in place today with the United States federal government. Uh, we have corporatism, which Mussolini defined as uh, fascism, the merging of corporations and the state. So, then there, there's the you know the sort of delusional definition of conservative in the general you know vernacular of someone who wants smaller government or uh, a return to more traditional uh, institutional orientation, social organization, things like that. And if that's the case, uh, they've been completely ineffective because government again, again, stop, stop. Look, just look at the numbers. Government has grown. The federal government has grown. The federal budget has grown. Federal power has grown over the course of the Trump administration. As many others have previously written, this crew is dedicated to a conception of liberty that is tantamount to believing that the United States should not exist. Well, 
that seems like a very progressive idea, doesn't it? That the United States should not exist. That we should uh, we should take this concept of freedom and Americanism and move forward with, as I would suggest, localization. Thus, as Mark Schmidt writes at the New York Times, these reactionary zealots have been busily tearing up the American state or selling it to interested parties. The USPS, the Department of State, and the EPA are some of many agencies in an especially parlous state, and as his administration draws to a close, Trump is now furiously firing anyone who fights or denies his attempt to steal the election, and his goons have been installing deranged loyalists throughout the government, particularly and alarmingly in the Department of Defense. <gasps> no, not, not the military. Now, it, really, so what is, and, and again, and I, I don't want to pretend that Trump is some noble anti-militarist. You look at his veto record, uh, all, all about defending, defense spending. Uh, you know, you, but has he escalated militarism? Yeah, maybe in some spiritual ways and promoting and you know weaponizing masculinity in his general messaging and, and pro-militarism rhetorically. But uh, it, it's it, it would be it would be uh, you'd be hard pressed to say that. Donald Trump has done anything with his appointees other than go to non-intervention. We see with his latest uh, Defense Department, uh, Secretary of Defense, uh, interim appointee, uh, calling for an end to the occupations of Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, that would be, uh, I think, again, even anybody honest left and right could agree that uh, wrecking government on his way out, if we meant dismantling the American military empire, that that would be a good thing. That, that ending the global war on terror, that would be a good thing. And that would be wrecking one of the federal government's rackets. So this article goes on to talk about what we're looking at in uh, Georgia with the two Senate elections. Um, but the, the uh, here's, here's the bottom line here. This leads to my second suggestion in, in the article. Go big and fast. This is his advice to Biden. One signature characteristic of the Obama administration was extreme administrative sluggishness. This happened for two reasons. First, because they were terrified of conservative backlash. Insiders vetted every nominee to everything to a preposterous degree, which left vacancies open for months or even years. Second, the Obama regulatory team was for many years headed by a corrupt neoliberal who assumed administrative acts could only be a drag on the economy and therefore had to be proved to be a net benefit with elaborate, expensive research. As I wrote at the time, all this pointless paperwork slowed the wheels of government to a crawl. You know, the funny thing is about this, most Democrats seem to forget, I mean, most Americans seem to forget, uh, that the federal government uh, total spending actually went down significantly during the Obama administration. Government got smaller. <gasps> oh, my God, yes, a Democrat trank government in this case, and actually in stark contrast to the effect of the Trump administration. So, this, why? Why do we get this delusion? And, and again, I don't want to take this as a, a reason to take sides, pro or anti-Trump, or Republican or Democrat. It's all silly back and forth of, again, blue-flavored fascism versus red-flavored fascism. But I want to, to, to point out how this lesser evil uh, mentality is entrenched. It's happening right, even right after the election. Now, it's not over, and, and you know, as as was sort of an obvious prediction, you're going to see a huge flood of resources to Georgia as people fight over control of the Senate, whether it goes to the red 
faction of the American Fascism Party or the blue faction of the American Fascism Party. But here's the point, is that what they're trying to do is strengthen the authority of the state to impose their vision on others and weaken its ability to impose other people's visions. So the article concludes, but one valuable lesson Democrats should learn from Trump here is how much can be accomplished with sheer shameless belligerence. Ask for neither permission nor forgiveness. Instead, get your people into their jobs by hook or by crook. Drown the reactionary hacks in the federal courts with a blizzard of executive orders and administrative rulings. Get things up and running fast to establish beneficiaries and put enemies on the back foot. And if you lose a case, change the reasoning slightly and do the same thing again. This also has the handy property of creating a lot of news so that the professional world clutchers in the media can't fixate on any one thing. You don't see a problem with this? Let's just have a government run roughshod over the people. Uh, by hook or by crook. It's hard to indeed imagine Joe Biden doing any of this, but if he cared to accomplish any of his agenda, whether it's piecemeal reforms or something more aggressive, fixing the broken government is a necessary precondition. And again, when people say the government isn't working, really? What's the purpose of government? Not what does it tell you its purpose is. I mean, if the mafia says it's there as a community service organization, you're not going to believe it, all right? You look at what government actually accomplishes. You look at how much has been accomplished over the last eight months under coronaphobia. You can only rationally conclude that the purpose, the true purpose of government is to keep the super rich getting richer at the expense of the rest of us. So don't complain the government's not working. It's working extremely well, extremely efficiently, and even more so now in the era of coronaphobia. It was extremely effective under Trump. It's going to continue to be extremely effective under Biden. But how does it get away with this? Not by fooling those of us who know better into, into complacency and going along with it, but in, by, by convincing a critical mass of the gullible American public to fall for this mentality that Ryan Cooper so brilliantly epitomizes with this story, that if, which is that I just want government to force my vision on other people. And if government can convince you that that's what it's doing, that it's, it's, it's one sector of the public's vision just being enforced on the rest of society, and if you can convince us that you're the majority, well, we'll do what your faction says and we'll force your vision on the rest of the American public. But even that is a diversion in order to give it this false critical mass buy-in to its illegitimate authority to force its will on everybody else. And so because of suckers like, like Ryan Cooper, again, the premises of this story, just the fact, the, the, the outlandish emotional characterizations, mischaracterizations of reality that uh, Mr. Cooper promotes here, uh, even that, you know, the, 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 why, why do you, is, is, is the delusion, is such a, such a false vision of reality even tempting, but it, why? It's because it justifies this forcing your will on other people. And the sooner we get past this, the sooner we, we give up weaponizing the government against our fellow Americans, the sooner we can overthrow this entire system. Uh, but sadly, the, uh, the delusion. Uh, of, of authors like this are the predominant force in American politics. 
And I don't share this story in order to say, oh, look, Trump is doing this great thing or Biden is facing this great challenge. No. But to simply illuminate the delusions that keep the system of government going. And today is Thursday, November 19, 2020. Thank you so much for joining us. we got a huge final headline. I promise we're this today's our big catch-up day. Tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen. We might, hopefully tomorrow, we, we clear enough of these headlines. We can get to uh, more of a call-in day tomorrow. But let's go ahead and get comment Jim Freedom up here uh, while we do our, uh, our promotions to kick off the show. Let everybody know how to plug in. Right there, at AdamVersusTheMan.com. Check it out. Join the Patreon group. And by the way, this is getting like we need to start another group here. It's like just uh, editorial stuff because the General Producers Club is amazing uh, for for news stories. And the conversation right now is just like I'm, I'm like whoa. All right, I don't have I don't go. I'm just trying to keep up. It's it's an awesome conversation. This is how. And by the way, stop putting stuff in the chat during the show that you don't want me to read on the air. I know you have you know, I'm, I'm lucky to post here as anonymous, too. Um, Retribution asks, do you want to be alive in your post-apocalyptic life? I, I do. Um, but, yeah, this is a really fun conversation. Very much appreciate everybody who makes the show possible by being a part of the Producers Club. So check that out. AdamVersusTheMan.com, Patreon.com, slash AdamVersusTheMan. And then there's the merch. You got 15% off and free shipping for all this wonderful stuff that CJ has put together for us at adamversustheman.com, click on the shop or store, whatever it is there. And then don't forget to support our affiliates, cigarfederation.com, promo code ADAM10, am 10 gets you 10% off there. That's ADAM10, all caps, and make them debate.com. Don't forget to check out my profile there. Mercedes will greatly appreciate it. And I would love it if we could make another fun debate happen. Remember, if you missed, if you missed the week of Adam Loves the Man, uh, that character can always be brought back. We can always bring back Adam Loves the Man, my status alter ego, and debate. Some people said yesterday they want to see me debate Larry Sharp as Adam Loves the Man. We can just do that, for, you know, just, just as a fun thing on the show and have Jim moderate. Yeah? I'd do that. I could, <laughs> I could do that. Ask Larry Sharp, see if he's down. I don't know, if, Jim, I don't know if you could handle that, honestly. I think you're too biased. <laughs> Yeah, I, my biases would probably show through. I won't deny that, but I could get you know, the job done. I could moderate. I'm not, I'm not too surprised, like looking at this in hindsight, but it was a bit of a surprise. It was one of, one of the fun revelations of our week as Adam Loves the Man was that of, of everybody on this team, I, I mean, as stressful as it was for CJ to be like plugged into this the whole time, of, of everybody on our team, Jim is the most emotionally sensitive. Jim has Jim is the most emotional attachment to freedom. When he, when he doesn't get his freedom, it it, it hurts him. It hurts him deep, gets me deep right inside. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it puts me in a bad place. I don't like to be. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim. Um, I, I mean, I, I hope uh, that that opening monologue was was a, a helpful and illuminating, and you know, maintaining. What, what I think is really healthy perspective for libertarians to keep in mind, you know, relative to this election, keeping the, uh, the, the deeper, you know, challenges of the paradigm that we face and, and, and taking on statism. Um, but uh, we're, we're, we got, got so many headlines to get to today. We got Michael Plumhoff, really fun guest, um, who has, uh, I want to make sure I get this right. And we know him because he's working with uh, Dan Berman and Nick Wildstar. 
But he has was he fought the IRS and Freddie Mac used his mortgage short scale uh, documentation and clock techniques. I like this is uh, some of the stuff he's 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 a real student of some of Dan Berman's uh, techniques of dealing with banks and and creditors and, and government collection agencies fought with the IRS and Freddie Mac. So we're gonna have a fun little lesson today on uh, some other ways around being exploited. Uh, but Jim, do you you want to do a contest today? Did we what did we do yesterday? Uh, we didn't set one up for today. Yesterday we didn't get any answers for the question you asked about the percentage of people that are compulsive rule followers. Yeah, I mean, I kind of want to go back to that. Like this is this is an important question. We really didn't get a good answer. I'm gonna keep. See, this is one of the things I love about the way that we're doing the show is that it really is a collaborative collaborative effort with, with both the live audience and the producers club and I feel a lot more confident in promoting this and I hope you do and share this if you're watching live right now if you can share this show if you understand why this is important but when I get to hear from, from the audience when I get to hear from the producers club um, I know that I'm, I'm you know we're, we, we have a team effort to make sure that we're really presenting an accurate view of the world that you know it's kind of a, a, a true journalism in that sense, right? If, uh, rather than, I mean, this isn't just an editorial show. This isn't just, you know, pure ranting. I want to make sure that our audience has, you know, not just an accurate view of the world, but an empowering and comprehensive and complete view of, of what's going on in the world. And a part of that means not just covering as many headlines as possible every single day, but being able to give people that perspective and step back and ask questions like this that there aren't surveys for, there aren't decisive answers for. But uh, the reason this came up yesterday uh, is that we, uh, we're, we're talking to family members here about, um, about other family members. And I'm, this, is, uh, this is one thing I'm not, I'm not going to reveal any, any personal specifics, but uh, one one of my family members described another group as compulsive rule followers, and this is as, as relates to you know COVID and coming together for Thanksgiving. And I and I'm, I, and I like oh the, the by the way the people who are compulsive rule followers in my family I will say are not from the Jewish side of my family. Uh, I think I think every I think one nice thing about Jewish culture. Uh, say what you will about it. Uh, in, in all the positives and negatives, it's, it's hard, you'd be hard pressed to find any, any Jews who are compulsive rule followers because we, we know where that gets you. Yeah. Did I, did I just like lose the internet? Godwin's, <laughs> like, without saying, without saying it, ah, oh, should I, don't, oh, did I, did I say his, he who shall not be named? Hitler and the Nazis. That wasn't me. That was Jim. Jim said it. That's Jim. taboo. We're not allowed to go there. You're fired. Check you that box. Mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim. Any good comments from the audience so far this morning? Uh, well, we no matter what happens, well, no matter what happens, well, no matter what happens in the future, we cannot blame David Paul Miller because he voted for Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. Vote with your dollar. Actually, we got. Um, I mean, I, I might as well jump ahead. A uh, quick headline today, but jumping way ahead on the pile to Coindesk.com, Bitcoin closes in on all-time high as it hits eighteen thousand dollars, and it's 
you know, having been a Bitcoin enthusiast pretty much from the beginning, you know, having spent so many $5 Bitcoins on the Silk Road, I see this and it's like, oh, man. Uh, and, and, and there is kind of a stabilization happening at this point, I think, overall, uh, of the Bitcoin network, of the market for it in general. And there's still there's still a ton of manipulation, and, and I, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of crypto, and I think it's come to the point, uh, well, even years ago, where, you know, it, in my very general amateur personal financial advice, I would say if you have the savings, if, you, if you're appropriately diversified, you know, you should have a chunk of savings in metals, in, in physical gold and silver, and uh, whatever you can afford to risk in terms of, you know, uh, a slightly higher risk but also diversified monetary mechanism, uh, you should have a significant chunk invested in crypto. And, and, I, and I would say this is, is a, you know, here, here's like just, you know, you got to think for yourself what your personal financial strategy is going to be in terms of investing, saving, and, 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 you know, spending, budgeting, where your mechanisms of, of, of all of those things are going to be. But I, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that no matter what else you decide, and maybe if you have some sort of more mainstream professional financial advisor, they won't tell you these things. And if they don't, uh, you really should question them. But if, if you want most of your, uh, you know, your, your savings invested in things that are, are traditional and, and counted in U.S. dollars, you're paying the inflation tax. Now, you are contributing unethically to the system. But if you have a financial advisor who doesn't tell you, you should have some safety mechanism, you should have some diversification. And I hate to say this, but you should have some cash, too. I mean, I, I, no one should be, like, if, if you have, a, you know, a, a, even just a few hundred dollars that you can afford to put away, uh, maybe that's not savings and investment level shit, but like a personal financial cushion. If, if you had just $300, you said, I want to make sure that, you know, I, I have something in an emergency, right? Uh, you, you probably should have a chunk of that in physical metals, a chunk in, in gold or silver. It'd be nice if you could have both, but if one or the other, if you only have one, silver, you know, a handful of one-ounce coins, just for, for the value that that represents in an emergency. Or is it like, and I've had savings in silver that's that served me very well as just uh, savings, like, you know, just uh, personal savings where I put, you know, a few thousand dollars in the silver and what I need to dip into that, all right, I take it to a coin store. But it's uh, something that a bank can't touch, the IRS can't touch. By the way, CJ shared this in the, uh, in the chat today. YouTube has updated its terms of service to include service with the IRS, they will withhold YouTube payments if you owe the government money now. And I'm like, I, does the government say that I owe them money? Does this mean I'm like completely cut off from making money on YouTube? I don't think so. I don't think I don't think the government has a tag on me yet uh, for any for any unpaid tax. I think I've successfully just been a, a non-filer and avoided liability. But who knows? Who knows? It's kind of disturbing. Again, this is why like, I, I don't feel comfortable holding U.S. dollars. I, for a lot of reasons. One, they're not as safe, but the ethical thing of you're not, uh, is you're paying the inflation tax. You know, by holding U.S. dollars, uh, as opposed to metal or crypto or other monetary, um, whatever mechanisms, then you're, you're volunteering to pay more in taxes than you have to otherwise. But uh, to have a chunk of your savings in cash, like if you, if you had $300, you see, you've got to get this on screen. Uh, but if you had $300, you know, $100 in cash, 
like have USD cash as an emergency stock. I wouldn't say don't have it, but don't keep more than you have to in US dollars for practical purposes. Have a chunk in metals, have a chunk in crypto. And I, it's gotten to this point now where I can say, you, you know, still don't afford, don't invest in anything more than you can afford to lose. But crypto is at that point where it, at least the major ones are stable enough that if your if your wallet is secure, if your mechanism of, of holding it is secure, it's it's a pretty stable you know savings slash investment mechanism, and certainly a critical one in diversity because. What if they make it illegal to own silver? What if the dollar crashes? What if you you absolutely you actually need crypto just as a practical alternative financial mechanism as backup? Anyway, that's my rant on that. CJ, you wanted to weigh in on YouTube policy? Well, anytime you're going to go off uh, and, and and just say a bunch of words, it's good to have somebody either to you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, at least somebody's got to jump in and say, yeah, you're right in certain aspects. Uh, first and foremost, hasn't the government before? Uh, said, hey, if you've got gold or silver, you got to give it to us. Wasn't there a time? Oh, just oh. that? I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but, not, wait, wait, are you, are you saying that Adam's not just crazy paranoid making something oh. up? He's actually making a historical reference and, 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 and mentioning the possibility of gold and silver being made illegal no. or confiscated? Well, I don't know about you guys, but Adam is not going to be the crazy uncle at Thanksgiving telling you that the government is – is uh, doing all this crazy stuff, which it actually is. Uh, no, he's, he's the he's, he's the sane uncle. So, anyways, uh, check this out. Uh, I do want to bring this up because it's, it is – I didn't just share it just to have everybody go, ooh, look. Uh, you are receiving this email uh, because we're updating the YouTube Terms of Service to clarify our terms to provide transparency to our users. These changes shouldn't significantly alter your access – or use to YouTube service. A summary of the changes. They are adding facial recognition restrictions. The terms of service already stated that you cannot collect any information that might identify a person without their permission. While this has always included facial recognition information, the new terms make that explicitly clear. YouTube right to monetize is a big one uh, with, with this channel. YouTube has the right to monetize all content on the platform and ads may appear on videos from channels not in the YouTube partner program. Now that's a big one for a reason. Uh, so that one, <laughs> when you have less than a thousand followers, when you have, when you're trying to get, become monetized on YouTube, uh, what they're saying is, is that they're going to make money regardless of if you're making money, they're going to make money. Now that's first point, right? Now, if you are in the partner program, if you've already been monetized, okay, they're saying they're still going to run ads on your content. They're still going to make money, but they're going to control that RPM, how much you actually get of it. So it is the definition of theft and fraud, just for the record. And then the last one here, royalty payments and tax withholding for creators entitled to revenue payments such payments will be treated as royalties from a US tax perspective and Google will withhold all taxes required by law so yeah that yeah, no, it's, it's huge implications of this uh, even though it's not going to be sudden it's this this is the next Tightening of the noose for independent media. Yeah. 
a big, big update there. So when we do decide here uh, whether or not, you know, what to do with Adam versus the man on YouTube moving forward, and, you know, starting in December there, um, like I said, there's a lot to take in um, with that. So, I mean, they're they're making big changes. And, and I think it looks like the merging of the tech and the government. Like, the government's like, hey, if, if let's say Adam Kokesh has – 10 million in back taxes, but he makes 50 million through your analytics program. You're going to withhold what he owes. Yeah. By the way, CJ, we've had some requests to get on BitChute. Are we posting on BitChute? No, we're not posting on BitChute. Are we waiting for something on that? Uh, No, I I just uh, have to add it into the places we upload our content to. But see, the thing is with new platforms, and this is what I keep saying, is, is that. People say, oh, I want to see you on BitChute. Well, we tried BitChute for a little bit. Um, you get two cents a video, three cents a video. I could go back and look at what we did post up there, and it's a penny, a dollar. It's not really even worth the time. So, I mean, uh, maybe I've heard, now I've heard we should be posting to Rumble. That That's a conservative uh, uh, kind of, uh, like a different version of YouTube, I guess, is the best way to put it. Uh, and that they are supposed to have fair monetization with their ads program. So I don't know. I mean, Parler and Rumble are both owned by the same dude. And Parler, we've already done stories on censorship there. So I'm kind of like, I don't know where to go. And that's what I'm saying. Like, there's no real safe haven from not being censored. We've done been tried it. Like, yeah. I mean, this show is trying to find it. Trust me. Just just to, to wrap up this, this segment here, uh, I want to remind the audience that, you know, we're, it's just a matter of uh, time and, and you know, energy getting stuff reposted. There's, you know, we're all essentially volunteers, and CJ puts an incredible amount of time into the show. If you want to see this, if you want to help us beat the censors, aside from supporting us by, you know, joining Patreon, buying merch, stuff like that, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for volunteers. We're looking for interns. Uh, if you want to email me or email producer at thefreedomline.com to get CJ directly, you know, anything we can do to get help to just get this in front of more people to diversify our, our distribution. Uh, if someone wants to be our uh, representative for BitChute and manage our BitChute account and CJ can work with them and just here's the content every day, you know, and, and have fun with it. Like, we, we are looking for that kind of help, and, and we do require that. Uh, as independent media competing against the mainstream, right, CJ? Yeah, so one way that you could help us decide which platforms we should be on would be to, like, take one of our videos and upload it yourself. And if it gets you 150,000 views on BitChute, if it gets you 300,000 views on Rumble, uh, you know, if it gets you any of these views, that then we'll know which which market wants our content. So yeah, that, we, we might need to put our, our little copy left symbol somewhere in the on the bottom bar of the screen here like we had before just to make it clear to everybody but just in case anybody watching is wondering you know we've, we've made this clear publicly numerous times and we make no claims for intellectual property to you you can upload it, it show us where it, the audience is at repost remix youtube might mess with you but we won't all right, let's check in with the comments just to see anything else from the audience before we get to at least a few headlines before our guest here. Jim, anything else? 
Uh, yeah, we got Don't Be a Status. Our good friend Mr. Status says silver is cheap enough to get into at $20. Even grams of gold are something like $200. Uh, check coins also. Silver quarters are worth about $3. Even silver war nickels and dimes are easy to find. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of ways you can get into that. All right. I got one, one more thing real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, 1054 said this yesterday about the percentage of compulsive uh, followers, and he mentioned it again here today. Uh, I'll say again, Jim's 5% being compulsive rule followers sounds about right, but a heavy majority will call themselves law-abiding, even though that's as impossible as following Scripture to a T. Yeah, so the reason, hold that up for a second, Jim. The reason we're asking this question, the reason it came up, as I said, was because it came up with family around COVID. But uh, it, it, it begs a bigger question around COVID about civil disobedience in the sense that everybody's a civil disobedience activist now. But they're, they're and, and most people are kind of presented with this impossible standard of following the rules right now as the rules change and, and, and interfere so much in daily life. Everybody seems to make an exception. Like Jim pointed this out with speeding, right? Like everybody speeds at some point, but there are still some people like, no, 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 I, I do my best. And occasionally I'll go one or two miles over by accident, but I follow the rules. I drive the speed limit. Like there, there are people like that still. And, you know, majority is law-abiding. I, I one of the things I'm, I'm looking at is a silver lining with Corona is that even people who are law abiding are in this crisis at some point forced to go, well, I can decide for myself whether I should follow this rule or not right now. Whether I no. need to go one way down this shopping aisle. <laughs> yeah. You know, when it's so many silly things like that, I, I would hope that everybody has some conscientiousness. And that's kind of what I'm trying to, like, these are the bigger questions I like to ask with Adam versus the man. And kind of a general rule here. If you help us answer one of these big questions, say, by the way, give me membership in the Producers Club for a particularly awesome comment. We might just spontaneously start and end a contest and decide to give away membership in the Producers Club. All right. Okay, last one before news. It's somebody asking, how can I help your campaign in Arizona? I live in PA right now. Oh, yes, Kareem. Thank, yeah, thank you so much for asking ahead. And when you talk about campaign in Arizona, it's that I am considering still very early in the process running for U.S. Congress uh, in, in my district in Arizona to run against Republican Representative Paul Gosser. Uh, and if, if that goes ahead, you'll know. Uh, but we're going to be taking our time with this. Now, if you if you want to get involved now with anything I have going on, send me an email, adam at thefreedomline.com, whether it's Big Igloo Geodesics or the Gardenia Sovereignty Project or Homefront Battle Buddies, uh, the, the veteran service organization we are launching with Stephen McClure right now. Very excited about how that is progressing. So anything you want to get involved like that, hit me up, adam at thefreedomline.com. And we are we're still in the early planning phases for you know well, you know how how I'm gonna best spend the 22 election cycle to serve the cause of freedom and it looks like that's the, the best opportunity. So to the first, oh don't miss your status there are zero percent compulsive rule followers 86.75309 percent are virtue virtue signalers that want you to follow rules like speeding they want to beat you to the red light for the record I do not ever speed ever. Uh, well, I, you know what? Thank you, Mr. Status, for pointing out 
that other dynamic to this. It is true that a lot of people who, uh, you know, present themselves in a way that you would judge them to be compulsive rule followers are really more compulsive virtue signalers. They just want you to know that they're good. They're good team players and obedient servants of government, which means you should be too. Therefore, you should comply. And, and yes, it's, it's, it's a it is it's a very statist mentality that really is more about other people's behaviors than their own. All right, CNN has this headline via MSN.com: Joe Biden's plans for mask mandates nationwide will be an early test of his power of persuasion. Now. There's kind of an obvious contradiction in this headline. It's not like the disturbing parts about Joe Biden national mask mandates. Mask mandates, power of persuasion. If I can put a gun to your head and say, you will do this or else, I can be very persuasive. Would you really call that power of persuasion or power of threatening people? You know, when, when, when I was in Iraq, you know, I carried, a, I carried an M16 in front of me and it made people listen very closely. Did I suddenly pick up any new communication skills or powers of persuasion? No. But I did come with a new threat of being able to force my will on other people, and that's what Biden is bringing to the table now. This is not a test of his power of persuasion, except in the sense of persuading cops, trigger pullers, their commanders, the heads of government at the state and local level to actually go out and enforce a national mask mandate. President-elect Joe Biden's team is discussing ways to persuade resistant Republican governors to get on board with mandating masks to stop the spread of COVID-19, according to sources familiar with those conversations. And this is actually pretty disturbing if you think about, you know, oh, could, could we be going this way with the second wave of government that we're experiencing right now? The Biden transition team is treading lightly so far saying little about how the incoming administration plans to address what is likely to be among the first tests of Biden's ability to bridge political divides and find consensus. And there's so much more to this story that has to be translated from, you know, statist propaganda to, to, to honest language. But one of them here, uh, can, he, can he persuade resistant Republican governors to get on board with mandating that? Now, is this, is this really persuasion or negotiation? You think about, well, again, primary purpose of government, to keep the super rich getting richer at the expense of the rest of us. And if that's the case, with you know, how does that apply to this situation? Well, if you're a Republican governor, you still want to serve that primary purpose of government, and you have to balance that to a certain degree against public opinion. You need a certain... Uh, public buy-in, a critical mass of consent in order to, to have that authority to force your will on your state. So when Biden, when a, when a president is trying to persuade Republican governors to get along and go along with his federal policies, well, you got carrots and you got sticks, right? And one of the carrots here is we'll give you more federal money. And, and actually that's, that's part of what they're suggesting here Another option under consideration is using economic incentives, which would likely be imp implemented in an upcoming spending bill to induce mask mandates, according to one person familiar with the plans being discussed inside Biden's transition team. Now, this is where you oh my gosh, I really have to translate this because this is a disturbing misrepresentation of reality with propaganda terms. Economic incentives. The federal government is going to steal from the American people 
Because that's what taxation is, right? Taxation is theft. If you don't give, you don't give us money. Men with guns or women, government agents with guns come and take your stuff, lock you up in a cage. It is a coercive stealing of your money when they tax you, whether it's the income tax or sales tax or uh, all the other taxes and fees and fines and hidden things built in to the average American worker's life where we can say for the average employee in America paying a withholding tax, you're working for government half the year when you add everything up. So the government's going to steal from me. The federal government's going to take your own. Oh, then, of course, the inflation tax. If you're using the dollar, they create more of the dollars in your bank account and your back pocket lose value. The purchasing power of your income goes down, whether it's fixed income or something you're earning. It doesn't matter if you're forced to use the U.S. dollar, you're paying the inflation tax. So the federal government's going to take from the American people and then use it to bribe governors to go along with their policies. But it's not even that simple. It's worse than that because it's we're going to steal from your people. I mean, think about this. What is the federal government, what is Biden saying to a Republican governor in, this, in, in the context of the story? We, the feds, are going to keep stealing from the people in your state. And we're going to keep giving it away to everybody else. But if you don't comply, you're not even going to get your share of what's been stolen back for your state government or for your people. You're going to be doubly screwed. And when you put it in stark terms like that, you go, holy crap, yeah, this is a dangerous, really exploitive system. But then you got, so that's the carrots. They're, they're carrots we stole from your garden in the first place. But the sticks, too, what can they do here? to punish state governors, to get them uh, to, to, to comply. Well, if, you, if, the, if the federal government, if, if Biden can get most of uh, American, uh, American governors to buy into this and single out those that don't go along, well, then there are plenty of sticks of punishment that can be used as well. And it looks like we've come to the point with corona, and remember it was New York State, New York City as, as well, that set the standards for this. Although even Florida being relatively lax in its response to corona has had restrictions on freedom of movement. In Texas, at one point, again, going back to March-April time frame, there was a point at which you couldn't go into Texas without self-quarantining for two weeks after that. Uh, and, and if we get to the point now, oh, oh, your, your Republican governor didn't adequately fall in line with federal policies, well now... We're just not going to let airplanes land in your state. We're going to shut down the freeways. We're going to put up checkpoints at the border. Now, I don't think it's going to get to that point. Because if you're a Republican governor and you go, well, I don't want to be that guy. Unless the, the, the population of your state is on board with that, no. You're going to go ahead and comply. You're going to get in line with the federal mandates. Now, if it goes that way, if there is a holdout, yeah, I, and I would love to see this. And now, it, could it be that... The, the fake libertarian in, in South Dakota, Christy Noem, could she, could the, the good people of South Dakota put enough weight behind her uh, refutation of federal policies under Joe Biden that South Dakota becomes that pariah state and, and she's able to hold under her power? I doubt it. I think she's going to fold like every other one of them. If I had to make a prediction, but I would be uh, very encouraged and I hope that the carrots and the sticks don't do their jobs and that we do see a state in revolt if Biden tries to go to a national mask mandate. And again, why? Because it's unscientific, it's counterproductive, it makes us less healthy, and it promotes government power in so many ways it makes it easier for us to be exploited. Now, Axios has this headline, the pandemic is as bad as it's ever been. I don't even want to get into this one. I just yeah, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you don't, Adam. What links are you on? 
I, that is not the next link I have. And we're not, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm wondering what links you're using. Because my first story I had for you was from Sacramento, and then a newsky.com story, and then a uh, Forbes story. Uh, so I've got that. We'll get to them. Don't worry. We'll just skim through I, those. I don't know what headlines you're on or stories or links. No, I've got, I've got the Sacramento one. I think you're just missing a few, or maybe I missed a few. Yeah. But, uh, we're just going to get through this, this Toronto block and get to our guests. No, I have the, the uh, guests, re- guests had to reschedule. As well. Oh, we are without guests today. Yeah, that's oh, another okay. reason for coming on too. So we okay. got plenty of time to get it right. I just uh, I don't see what links you're on. Okay, so I uh, I've got AP heading into holidays. U.S. COVID nineteen testing strain again. CJ, these aren't important. Let me let me get to the, uh, the you said you have CBS Sacramento and then you have Sky News. I got those coming up in three more, and then we'll see if we're back on track. Oh yeah, sounds good. Okay. So AP, so we're going to be checking in with our audience again a little more than without our guests today. So if you have the brilliant insight to explain this compulsive rule following and, and, and you know, help us understand how much of the public got represented, we'd love to see your comments on that. So from AP Associated Press, APnews.com, heading into holidays, U.S. COVID-19 testing strained again. Now, I don't have a whole lot to say about this, but I do want to share – uh, a little bit of a, a personal story with this is that I am uh, I'm, I, I have family members who have uh, who have risk factors uh, both for their own health and for uh, professional considerations. I'm not going to say anything specific about that, and this is really dumb. Again, to think about the, the insidiousness of the way that this has been inserted as, as, as just as a narrative, as a diet, just into the American conversation. Uh, I have I have a family member, for example, and I think I think this actually applies to more than one of them. Uh, for them, like they're they're young, they're healthy, they you know don't have any reason to uh, take any more than sort of normal healthy hygiene precautions regarding COVID. But they have a job where if they were to get a positive test, uh, they might lose their job or, or be I shouldn't say lose their job. No one's going to get. Well, I don't want to say no one. Uh, yeah, there there are people who could effectively. Uh, get fired for um, you know, for for testing positive for COVID, and so they're taking you know they're asking for reasonable precautions, and you know we have to go get tested. Uh, Sam, my wife, and I, and we're in, we're in Seattle right now. Seattle was one of the original hotspots, remember? And even here, test centers are overwhelmed. And so they can't get the supplies. It's not like they don't have the staff. It's not like they don't they, they can't administer them. It's, it's that they, they, they literally don't have the supply. And so my point in all of this isn't to say, like, you know, we need more government. We need we need more resources to go to this or we need more attention. Um, but the, 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 there's, there's clearly some manipulation here. And, I, again, I don't want to be paranoid um, because it could be, as, again, never attribute to conspiracy what can be adequately explained by incompetence. And in that case, there's, there's a lot of incompetence going around here, but that we have the government so heavily involved with the testing system. And remember, I've already been tested. Uh, I tested myself. I got a uh, at-home prick test where you, you prick your finger and you put a little blood on a test strip and a little saline solution and capillary action. It goes like a pregnancy test and goes across the strips and tells you if you've had, uh, if you have the active virus or antivirus. And I tested negative for both. It was kind of disappointing. I wish I had the antibodies and saying, I'd say, look, 
I can't get it, and I can't, I can't transmit it. I don't have to wear a mask. I have that medical exemption. And you can do that now. And by the way, we have hopefully tomorrow joining us. Uh, it's not on the calendar yet, uh, but I, I do want to point this out because uh, this is, this is, we have a really cool guest for tomorrow lined up. Excuse me, my friend Alan Stevo, who wrote the, excuse me, who wrote the book Face Masks in One Lesson, which goes over the science. Let's see. Contains in-depth analysis of notable national policies, governmental and non-governmental. How to never wear a mask again and do so legitimately. Now, I, I want to point out here, like this is great, and I'm, I'm my policy is still to never wear a mask proactively. That is, uh, and, and right now, uh, as I'm going to meet with family members, um, remember the mask is not to protect you; it's to protect others. So if you really want to limit and protect yourself when it comes to masks, the answer is not to wear one, but to never go within six feet of someone who is not wearing one and being subject to their their projectile viral load. And again, I, I think all of this is is really silly and unnecessarily paranoid in terms of um, making us afraid of each other. But uh, I, I it, it's like if someone says, "Can you wear a mask around me?" If I want to be around them, I'm gonna wear a mask. So it's not it's not so much about never wearing a mask again, but never being forced to wear one because you figured out the magic legal words of, of you know. Oh, I have an exemption. It's not that complicated. But hopefully we'll be talking to him tomorrow. Um, but so we're trying to get tested here, and, and we actually have to leave right after the show today because we got uh, – we have an appointment. Finally, just, we had to get it three days in advance here, even in Seattle. And, th- like, so, the, again, the test that I took, prick test, found out the results in, you know, 15 minutes. Yeah, these days a 45-minute test. Yeah, start to finish, maybe, and make sure you know, let it let it let it uh, fully saturate the script. Just, but you can see you can see whether it's testing positive or negative pretty quickly there. Um, and and then the test that we are getting later today, three days, three days. Like really, again, in in terms of not being paranoid with this, it could just be that we have a system where we don't even come close to living up to our potential because government is such a heavy hand in this process. I got this test. It, it was about to be approved by the FDA for distribution. It was approved. It's been used in, in other places. But just at the last second, they said, no, now you can't get this test out. Why? Why do they want this? And you had to wonder, like, at, at very least, Donald Trump, politicians studying the policy at the federal level, with, with the test kits, at very least, they're okay with this. Is it deliberate? Is there some deliberate manipulation slowing down our, our ability to get tests out? I, I don't know. I don't want to be, you know, I, that, that would be an, a, a sort of, un, I don't say ungrounded or unfounded, but an unproven yet uh, conspiracy theory. I don't know. Maybe someone else has the proof. And if you want to send us, send us the link, put it in the comments. We'll get, we'll get to it today. But clearly, we can be doing much better than and it, and, it, and it really is disappointing. So that we're still, uh, we still can't get test kits out properly should be bothersome for everyone. Now I want to go to, let's see, we got the Bullshitters Anonymous. We had a question in here from uh, Mary Wildfire. He said, I'd like to hear Adam's take on chemtrails. And without getting too far into this, because, uh, you know, maybe it would deserve a, a sort of a, a story to hang this around and a little more 
uh, you know, update on uh, the, the data around chemtrails. Um, but the thing is, we know that chemtrails are real. We know that this is a thing. We know. Oh, so now we get the video. <laughs> um, but we. Is a real thing. There's what is it? Heart high altitude. Oh shoot! What some federal program? We know that governments around the world are doing various experiments in geoengineering and manipulating the weather through spraying chemicals. The only question is to what degree and, and how widespread is it? Uh, I'm not inherently against geoengineering, uh, I think it might actually have some legitimate value in serving humanity and, and perhaps preventing natural disasters, uh, alleviating human suffering, increasing rainfall, um, you know, uh, helping undo some of the damage that, that humans have done to the environment, increasing its value in a variety of ways, but it is truly disturbing that this is happening in secret, uh, that the American government is doing it, and that we don't know the full extent. So I, in that sense, um, yeah, call me a chemtrail truther, but I, I don't want to say that I know exactly how much is going on or, or come to any conclusions about uh, whether it's even significant in terms of, oh, we're being poisoned and we're putting this and that chemical in the air. But I, I, I do think it, it should be more of a political priority for everyone to say, let's figure this out. Let's expose this. Let, let's, let's have it out in public and determine what the true scope of uh, uh, geoengineering is in the world today. All right, so back to the headlines. Another one from the Associated Press: Tired to the bone, hospitals overwhelmed with virus cases. Now, I got to I got to cover this side of the story as well, even though it kind of goes against uh, you know, the skeptics' narrative, just to see how true this really is. And you know, we have to weigh this against all the other headlines that we've seen about uh, doctors quitting. Not because they're, you know, their doctors quitting due to coronaphobia. Is it like, I mean, I, I just, we watched the South Park pandemic special, my wife and my mom and I. By the way, uh, today's anniversary event is brought to you by my mom's basement. No, we're coming to you from, from my mom's condo in, in, the, uh, in, in the Seattle area today. But we watched the pandemic special and we said, okay, so there's a bit of a spoiler here. Not, not that big a deal, but... Uh, the black student in South Park, Token, gets shot by the cops who have taken over the school, and they say one of your students had to go to the hospital due to COVID, and Stan gets up and goes, what do you mean? We were there. We saw you shot him. It wasn't due to COVID. Well, and the cop goes, well, we wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for COVID, so it's due to COVID, and you go, that's that, that, South Park's portrayal of how this is being spun is, is really worthwhile, but Remember that a lot of when, when, when they say, you know, the medical industry is really suffering right now, there are two things. And, yes, there are some places and, and, and some units, some, some uh, you know, segments of the medical industry that are experiencing actual strain and overloading due to corona. I'm not going to pretend like that's not a thing. But the bigger suffering, and, and, and again, a huge indication of the failure of our system today, is that there are people whose businesses are failing in the medical industry due to lack of demand and government mandating that uh, non-essential procedures be pushed back. Uh, for a lot of people, like we covered the story yesterday, there was uh, a case of an uh, uh, independent pediatrician practice. And, you know, if, if your business goes down by half because people are afraid to come in, well, 
you lost the hypochondriac support of your industry, and maybe that was what was keeping a lot of businesses on small margins afloat. So there are a lot of people who are quitting in the medical field because they, they can't, if, if, unless they're part of a bigger system, you know, their businesses are failing with the, the decreased demand. There are even places, uh, hospitals that are laying off staff and everything that's not COVID-related. But to this Associated Press story, overwhelmed hospitals are converting chapels, cafeterias, waiting rooms, hallways, even a parking garage into patient treatment areas. Staff members are desperately calling around other medical centers in search of open beds. Fatigue and frustration are setting in among frontline workers. Conditions inside the nation's hospitals are deteriorating by the day as the coronavirus rages across the U.S. at an unrelenting pace, and the confirmed death toll surpasses 250,000. Now, a couple things that need to be put in perspective here. Confirmed death toll surpasses 250,000. If that's the CDC number, first of all, we know that a certain number of those deaths need to be just wiped off because they were people who were diagnosed with COVID because they had symptoms and then died from something else, and now they are still listed as, as COVID deaths. We also know that from the CDC numbers when they were about 200,000 just a month or two ago, that it's only 6% that died just from COVID, and that of the other 96%, they had an average of 2.6 pre-existing conditions that were comorbidities, as in contributing factors to their deaths. So to what extent do we blame COVID for all of this exclusively? And I, again, a lot of people want to, you know, simply say, oh, it's only 6%. Well, the question is not, is it only 6%, but of the other 94%, you have to you have to give COVID credit for being a contributing factor to those deaths. Uh, you know, was it, you know, somewhere between, you know, maybe a third to two-thirds. Uh, but again, you got to take that number way down from that quarter million uh, in, in terms of what can you actually give COVID credit for in those deaths. There are a lot of people who, and, and it could be a lot less. It could, be, it could be way less because for a lot of these deaths, as we've seen, and this has been true from the beginning about how the statistics have been reported, is that people who die with COVID are being listed as COVID deaths even though they didn't die from COVID. So, you know, we like to joke, or I used, I used to say, this is my favorite COVID dad joke. Did you hear about the guy who was skydiving and his parachute wouldn't open? Right before he hit the ground, he died of COVID. Serious tragedy. Uh, no, and, and it's, it's true, like, because we saw this story from Washington State where uh, there was a gentleman who had been shot in the head, clearly died from gunshot wounds to the head, but he either had tested positive for corona before that or uh, was had his, his, his body was tested afterwards. And they're doing this for a lot of people, too. And it's, it's sort of like it, this is something that, again, if, if we had – better statistical analysis, if we had better sharing of data, if we didn't have governments interfering with this in so many ways, we would know how many people are being uh, counted this way. But if, if COVID is like HPV, whereas, you know, like, what, 90% of, of, of Americans have it or, or, you know, 90% of sexually active Americans have some form of HPV, which is a mostly harmless virus that if you wanted to say, well, it, it causes cervical cancer and infertility in women, yes, it's a small number, but it's, it's out there, we manage it, and it's not something that, that anybody freaks out over. But if all of a sudden you reported everybody, everybody who died, you tested for HPV, that they were positive, you reported them as an HPV, then all of a sudden you'd be like, oh my gosh, look at all these HPV deaths. And that's part of the manipulation of the data that's happening with corona. So when, when I hear... The, you know, a number like this, 
presented out of context, it does kind of discredit the entire source. Confirmed death toll surpasses a quarter million. Just because government confirmed it doesn't make it so. Um, so this coronavirus rages across the U.S. at an unrelenting pace. No, no, you're, you're no longer a journalist anymore when you use language like that. You're a propagandist. You're a fear monger. And so when I, you know, I hear this, even this kind of story, you know, I, I have to assume that any, well, I think it's, it's pretty safe to assume that anytime you hear something sensationalized in the media, you have to ask, is this, is this a real phenomenon that's being hugely exaggerated to scare me, or is it being fabricated out of whole cloth like weapons of mass destruction? So, again, just looking at the mainstream media with this fear-mongering, I'm inclined to believe that it's not just fabricated out of a plot, that there is something to this. And, again, I would encourage you, and I hope I, I don't turn into the uh, you know, person that the, the, that the mainstream is going to come after and go, oh, you're the one encouraging your followers to irresponsibly go out and harass the healthcare industry. But when we see the mainstream media so deliberately misrepresenting what's going on, the film your hospital, hashtag film your hospital, get out there. And like when they say they're, they're overwhelmed, check them on it. And I've I, I got to say very carefully, don't trespass. Don't interfere with any individual rights. Uh, be very careful not to interfere with the delivery of, of, of life-saving, critical um, you know, health care or any health care at all. Don't interfere with that. But this is an important time for people to go out and challenge this and question this. And, and I remember when we saw this months ago. And so my my position on this right now is no, this is this is a huge exaggeration. Uh, and, and I could be wrong. This the story goes on. The number of people in the hospital with COVID nineteen in the U.S. has doubled in the past month and set new records every day this week as of Tuesday. Nearly 77,000 were hospitalized with the virus. But if, if, I, if I have to, to, to judge this based on what I know right now, I would go back to you know, what, I, what, what we saw in the first wave of coronavirus, where uh, the, there were headlines like this, and people said hospitals were being overwhelmed, and then you had hashtag film your hospital, and people went out and actually showed, no, no, this isn't true. This isn't true. And, and a lot of the fear-mongering even that we saw from Europe uh, when the mainstream media was saying, look, here's a, uh, you know, here's, here's a COVID ward that's overflowing with patients. And then, you know, the, 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 here's the clip of, oh, look, even people are waiting in the hallways. They're overwhelmed. And then you go, wait, they're showing the same footage from the, wait, the, wait, the, did they just accidentally use the footage from that one hospital ward from Italy to describe what's going on in New York? And, you know, there was so much uh, manipulation. We saw reporters, you know, like fully decked out in PPE and then in front of the camera and then, you know, in the hospital and the camera operator right behind them, like, in all normal clothes. And you go, is this more do as I say, not as I do kind of stuff, or is this just fear-mongering? Again, every regular story that you get that's sensationalized like this in the mainstream media has to be put in context. So, um, let's see. Bullshitters and odds. We got, we got more. We got, what is this, Chad? For suicide awareness. Can't take the COVID. And they were there. We covered the toilet paper story <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. 
That's crazy. That's, all right, all right. I, there are a lot, lot of, lot of memes in the Bullshitters Anonymous. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, we are rescheduling the guest. There was a little bit of confusion there on the timing. I think uh, between our, our Booker Marcus and the guest, so they are already rescheduling for the week after Thanksgiving. That is great. So the Producers Club, yeah, Mary put this one up. A um, little follow-up on our um, geoengineering segment there. Uh, I filmed this guy since 2009, I think. If I get my server up, I still have a drive full of some insane video of target trace lines. Jets were following her fracks with sunlight. I actually think I may have a couple on YouTube still. One sec, I will check. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I, I'm, it, it should be, yeah, Mary, and they, I'm, I'm glad that there are people staying on this. There are a lot of crazy people in the, in the chemtrail space, and you know, I, it, it, what, what are those? What are those little things? Uh, this is this is the, the, the it's they've got a name for this that it sort of like protects you from um, <laughs> from uh, from chemtrails. Uh, organized, organized. Oh, I mean, the silliest pseudoscientific nonsense that if you have like metal in in a uh, and, and, and a plat it just it, if you want to look up how unscientific people can be and how ridiculous stuff can be with chemtrails, check out Organite. Um, I'm pretty sure it's this it's like organ but O instead of an A. Um, really ridiculous. Now, CJ, I want to make sure you have the link to this next one. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this back in the chat here. But yeah, it looks like we're having, no no guests, no callers. We're having a real. Uh, Good catch-up and, and producers club driven show today. So, um, anything else to catch up on from? Uh, no, that wasn't me. I don't know how they got there. Post the video I took this morning. Okay, so they're gifs, gifs, not memes. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> twenty twenty, be like that's a meme. I like you know what I call me old school, but I learned the word meme before it became a thing on the internet. I guess I'm really old. Like a meme is supposed to be a unit of an idea, and it came to, to mean an infographic of a certain kind on the internet because it's spread like a meme. I, I don't I don't like it, but I have come to accept the terminology. I still am inclined to use the word meme somewhat more inclusively. I'm a nice guy. I'm inclusive like that. All right. The Spectator has this next headline, Landmark Danish Study Shows Face Masks Have No Significant Effect. YouTube censoring this video in 3, 2, 1. We are off the air because you are not allowed on YouTube to question the efficacy of the World Health Organization or local health authorities' mandates regarding corona, even when you're doing so by presenting scientific evidence. That proves these mandates are counterproductive, not in the best interest of your health, and simply they are for political manipulation. Because that's the only conclusion that you can come to when you look at the science. <laughs> Please don't be unscientific, don't be anti-scientific, don't be a compulsive rule follower when the rules are set up contrary to reality, to science, when the rules are there to make you less healthy. And, and this is the thing, we've been covering this. In so many different ways. And I, I, I think I get a t- and I told you so out of this. CJ wants me to say I told you so every chance I get. And I think, I, I think it's not the biggest one, but we've been, because we've been covering 
all of the stories, of, not all, but we've been covering a significant number of stories uh, of, of people challenging the science behind the mask mandates. Um, I can say I told you that it was going to come out as we got better studies that show that it's actually not effective with corona. And, and I got to say, this, is, I, I, this was a genuine prediction because we covered uh, Ben Swan talking about the studies that, that he brought to, to the uh, you know, public attention as a journalist. Uh, and, and, and the video that he had taken off of YouTube when he put out a, a, a comprehensive uh, survey of, of the different studies looking at mask mandates. And the one that really stood out to me is, is, seems like it should have been the, uh, the obvious one. And again, I, I get it that, that, that a mask can have uh, somewhat of an effect. I mean, it's not like doctors wear them for no reason. Yes, if you're cutting open a patient and you're over them as a surgeon, you don't want, like, boogers falling out of your face into an open wound. <laughs> That's gonna, you're going to have a bad time. <clears throat> but if, if you know, you, you're, you're doing that, uh, there, there's a specific reason and a purpose, and it's a limited time in, in application. If you take that and just assume, well, masks are going to reduce transmission, you know, you, you might, it, it might make sense if you don't think it through, if, if you don't actually consider the science about this, if you don't consider the possibilities of the negative effects, and yes, I get it. You know, you, you, if you smoke a if you smoke a cigarette or or even an e-cig and you breathe out through a mask, you'll see it's useless. There's a cloud of smoke that comes out. And if we're talking about uh, a virus that is you know so small that you know it goes through all of that and, and it's truly aerosolized, then masks provide only a, a very small uh, effect of limiting your spray outwards. Now, there's a, a slight protective effect. You can imagine that, you know, if, if, if this is out there in the air, you're going to breathe less of it. But if, the, if it's truly aerosolized and can go out of a mask that way, it can go in that way. And the other thing, so there's, there are videos of people doing this. Um, we did this last night for my mom, showed her, like, uh, my wife and I, she's got one of the black masks, and I just have the bandana. But, I, you know, I like, to, I, I like to be cool about it. You know, if I have to, I'll wear the bandana around. I can slip it up, slip it down, and look like that. And but if you do this, and you, you smoke a, we, we did it with our e-cig, and then you blow it out, it's a huge cloud of smoke. Now, it seeps out when you're wearing a mask as opposed to, like, blows out. So it does have, like, it, it, it's not totally irrational to go, well, geez, could wearing masks limit the spread of the virus? Could they, could they limit the transmission? And, yes, I'm not here to deny that, but then, again, you can inhale this this way. And the other graphic that I like to keep in mind is there's a guy who did this just to show people who had a, who, who, who did drywall work. And if you've never worked with drywall, it puts off a white powder. And thank you, CJ, for putting that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's how effective masks are. So it really doesn't stop anything, but it does sort of limit the projection. And that's the best you can say it does. But then he, he had a picture of himself wearing an N95 mask and doing the same drywall work that he normally does with, with a complete respirator mask. And so it's just like seeped in all around all the seams. It's not an airtight seal. The white powder it was now forming, uh, you know, little little spots all around his face under where the mask was. And it was actually retaining it more because of the moisture there. And so the study that I, I always reference was the one that looked at flu virus transmission in a controlled Experiment, and this is again. This is how you got. You have to know. This is the, the scientific process stuff that they don't want to teach kids in school anymore because it involves critical thinking and thus question authority and moving humanity forward 
by advancing science and challenging premises with the scientific method, this objectivist or objective analysis, right, objective process of analyzing data and reality through theory, uh, you know, hypothesis, thesis, counter-thesis, and using controlled experiments to be able to say this is the result of our test. And so they had one, and this is one of the things that Ben Swan got censored for, because they had a control, they had a control group uh, of people who didn't wear any masks. They had the experiment group of people who wore masks continuously for the extended period of this study, and they found that viral transmission was higher among people who had been wearing masks. And so you might say, well, Adam, that doesn't make any sense if it has this effect of, of limiting the spray, right? But it has, the, again, you've got to look at the science. you got to ask these questions and look at the data objectively because you might be wrong. You know, it's not, not everything is as it seems. I mean, it used to seem that bloodletting with leeches was, was a good way to deal with a lot of health disorders. We don't do that anymore. Um, bloodletting, you know, like, no, no, we, we've, we've pushed that scientifically, and now we have with the masks decisively as well. And, and uh, so my prediction was that once we got decisive studies about masks with corona, that it would reflect the reality that we already knew about masks from prior studies, which is that while it might have that effect of limiting your projection or direct inhalation of an aerosolized virus, the overall effect is to increase viral transmission because of all of the countervailing effects. And some of those are that you're rebreathing oxygen, you're your immune response, you're creating a damp environment, you're touching your face more. All of these things contribute to the bottom line, which is that wearing masks for extended periods increases viral transmission. Now, another thing that we've seen censored recently, promoted by Ben Swan, was this story, and I think we came across this one separately first through the producers club, was that looking at people who are getting COVID now, is that someone like, what, 70% of them are people who wore masks all the time. So even what we're seeing in terms of who's coming down with COVID, now this is a correlation, this is not quite the answer, right? This is a correlation, not necessarily causation thing, right? It could be that people who wear masks all the time are the ones who are exposed to it more. But then why would you see those people still coming down with COVID at higher rates than people like me who wear masks as little as possible or never wear masks? Um, the, the, the critical part of that report was that of COVID patients that they, they surveyed them for like how often they wear masks. Only 4% of COVID patients were those who never wore masks. The majority were those who always wore masks. Uh, and then some who sometimes wore masks, but uh, people who never wear masks, not getting COVID. Again, maybe you never wear a mask because you're always at home. You're, you're never at risk. And so you're not decisive. But now, now, and my prediction was that all of those things were going to stay generally uh, accurate in terms of what they were indicating of the bigger picture of masks being counterproductive. Now, as to being counterproductive, that's not what this study proves. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, be uh, presumptive of anything from this scientific study that we have now. But if you were to factor in all of the negative consequences of, of wearing a mask, which this one doesn't, this one just looks at COVID transmission in a controlled group. So this is a land from the spectator, landmark Danish study shows face masks have no significant effect. Do face masks work? Earlier this year, the UK government decided that masks could play 
a significant role in stopping COVID-19 and made masks mandatory in a number of public places. But are these policies backed by the scientific evidence? Yesterday marked the publication, and by the way, this is the, the date for this study. This is 19 November. This is this is today. Um, so this is this is again. It's, it's kind of disappointing that we're just getting to this now. When I can say I told you so, but we've been saying this for months. Yesterday marked the publication of a long-delayed trial in Denmark, which hopes to answer that very question. The Danmask 19 trial was conducted in the spring with over 3,000 participants when the public were not being told to wear masks, but other public health measures were in place. Unlike other studies looking at masks, the Danmask study was randomized, was a randomized controlled trial, making it the highest quality scientific evidence. Around half of those in the trial received 50 disposable surgical face masks, which they were told to change after eight hours of use. After one month, the trial participants were tested using both PCR antibody and lateral flow tests and compared with the trial participants who did not wear a mask. In the end, there was no statistically significant difference between those who wore masks and those who did not when it came to being infected by COVID-19. 1.8% of those wearing masks caught COVID compared to 2.1% of the control. Uh, control group. As a result, it seems that any effect masks have on preventing the spread of the disease in the community is small. Some people, of course, did not wear their masks properly. So in, in a sense, they unintentionally got three groups out. It said only 46% had completely adhered to the rules. So they got uh, basically 25% of their subjects to follow the rules. So they have that group as in one experiment. They have people improperly wearing the mask, and then they have people not wearing masks at all. And even then, no difference in the results. 2% of this group were also infected. That is among those not properly wearing their mask. So uh, when it comes to masks, it appears there is still little good evidence that they prevent the spread of airborne diseases. The result of the Dan Mask 19 trial mirror other reviews into influenza-like illnesses. So, you know, my prediction was based on the basic science of viruses being airborne, that uh, that COVID was not some magically special thing that was prevented by masks when other viruses of the same nature are not significantly affected by uh, this kind of widespread mask policy. So there are nine other trials looking into the efficacy of masks. But remember, if the World Health Organization says masks are good, until they change their policy based on the science, you will be censored off YouTube for saying anything like this. So uh, the story goes on to say, but overall, there's a troubling lack of robust evidence on face masks in COVID-19. There have only been three community trials during the current pandemic comparing the use of masks with various alternatives, one in Guinea-Bissau, one in India, and this latest trial in Denmark. The low number of studies into the effect different interventions have on the spread of COVID-19, a subject of global importance, suggests there is a total lack of interest from governments in pursuing evidence-based medicine. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, they don't want evidence-based medicine. If anything, they want to suppress this so that they can have uh, government-based medicine, medicine that promotes the government narrative. And that starkly contrasts with the huge sums they have spent on boutique relations consultants advising the government. Yeah, of course, they're more concerned with looking good than doing the right thing. So. Uh, I mean, the story goes on and, and teases apart some more of the science, but um, again, the when, when you're basing something on science, it, it's important that you define that properly and look at the quality of the data that's going into that. And obviously with COVID, 
a lot of the society-wide data, the numbers, the bigger numbers about side effects and things like that are, uh, are heavily manipulated. But then what do you take as actual scientific evidence? What do you take as actual uh, proof of a scientific principle? It has to adhere to these standards, uh, meet these qualifications of, uh, of adhering to the scientific process of having a control group and an experimental group. Rather, uh, otherwise, you're just looking at indicators or uh, correlation as opposed to causation without proof. And that's a lot of what we're seeing today in the headlines. It's really dangerous in how uh, the mythology of COVID is being presented to the people of the world. And the story concludes, and now that we have properly rigorous scientific research, we can rely on the evidence shows that wearing masks in the community does not significantly reduce the rates of infection. And if that's the case, why is it being done? Why are we doing it? Why are governments mandating it? Why are they getting away with this? It's a mechanism of control. I'm not saying that there's never a reason to wear a mask. If you think that it's necessary or, or helpful to take that little extra effort to minimize viral projection around an old person or someone who's vulnerable, hey, you know, you do what's appropriate. But clearly the policy is being created not in order to serve the people, not to serve public health, but to serve government, to serve the authorities. And we really have to do the research to see past that for ourselves. Hopefully, just bearing the slings and arrows of censorship and shadow banning as we do with Anna versus the man to get this message out. I hope that you value this enough to help us get this message out because literally we have been censored for saying exactly what we just said in the story because YouTube sent us an email about why we were banned last time and it said it was for questioning the efficacy of the World Health Organization or local health authorities. So as long as anybody in the world, any government agency in the world is saying that you should wear a mask, then you can get kicked off of YouTube for saying what I just said in presenting a new scientific study that actually proves government is wrong. Uh, or, as I think has been said before, uh, it is dangerous to be right when the government is wrong. Fortunately now, the only danger is that you might get censored we're not, we don't have people being uh, being killed uh, in, in, or beheaded for questioning the crown, but the impact society-wide of this falsehood, uh, all of these falsehoods about COVID getting out are, are very dangerous. And uh, uh, like Ron Paul said, truth is treason and the empire of lies. Let's recognize the empire of lies that we live in that has grown so much stronger under COVID or the coronavirus, depending on what you want to call it. Now, CBS Sacramento has a story. Is there COVID on that? CBS 13 swaps high-touch services to find out. And, you know, there's there's some debate still about whether you can get this from contact, uh, touch your service contact as much as through it being aerosolized and breathing someone else's air. But, uh this story is just kind of fun that they they go out and they say they swap 16 high-touch surfaces, a gas station pump and some bathroom stall locks, came back with borderline positive results. Borderline positive? Apparently degraded virus RNA. Again, it's fun that we're testing this, but why are we getting this from the media doing this instead of there being a decisive scientific uh, determination about uh, surface contagion? Well, again, as our last word pointed out, governments don't really have an interest in evidence-based science, do they? 
Speaking of which, the latest in the fear-mongering that we have to deconstruct comes from Sky News. COVID-19 brain complications increasingly reported in virus patients with diabetes and hypertension. Life-threatening complications, including strokes and brain bleeds, have been found in a significant number of coronavirus patients. Now, I don't want to say that this is all completely fabricated. But just like as is the typical pattern with the media, these kinds of things are exaggerated and misrepresented to be more sensationalistic and emotional, uh, emotionally evocative. Because if they can get you emotionally hooked on their news, they can get you tuning back in. If they can get you afraid, that's the best. Because, hey, if you don't watch what we're going to tell you to be afraid of tomorrow, you might die from this thing we haven't made up yet. And with this, th- there is probably a real consequence here. I mean, if I had to apply this reason and logic and what I know of science, if, if, if this thing is a, a funky off-season flu that may or may not represent a, a unique threat, if you have uh, diabetes, hypertension, then uh, just like if you got the flu, that could provide an aggravating factor that leads to significant long-term consequences. And people are talking about, you know, lung inflammation and pneumonia and, and you know, COVID toes and, you know, loss of a uh, sense of smell or taste, things like that. Um, generally not uh, long-lasting. But when they say, look, a fifth of COVID patients are experiencing mental problems after recovering from COVID, long-term mental disorders. Well, you got to go, okay, how many of those are, are, you really com- are you really comparing to the general population in a fair way? Or are you just, I don't know, okay, let me, let me step back, break this down sort of statistically for you. If you have a million Americans and you wait a year, well, just by existing random realities of human health, within a year you have a million random people, uh, you know, so many of them are going to experience depression or memory loss or Alzheimer's or, you know, whatever the case may be. If you take the proportion of those who have been hospitalized with COVID, and this is where a lot of, a lot of the sensationalist headlines there's qualifiers that you just you have to be listening for in order to deconstruct, to, to, to scale down what they're telling you to get it a lot more in line with reality. And, and, and when they say, like, one in five COVID patients experienced X, Y, Z, well, what if they forgot to include, oh, that's a hospitalized COVID patient. And then you go, well, if they had gotten the flu, would they have gotten the same? Like, yeah, I get it. If, if you're health is fragile and you have an adverse event, even if it's a minor flu, yeah, that could result in some long-term effects. And to everybody in the media who is, uh, you know, misrepresenting this, it really is, you know, irresponsible, journalistically irresponsible. Um, So the story says life-threatening neurological complications are increasingly being being reported in COVID-19 patients with hypertension and diabetes. The impact of the virus on the respiratory system has been closely studied, uh, but it can affect other organs. So uh, including breeding, bleeding in the brain and stroke and increasingly reported potentially devastating consequence of infection. So there are a lot of things like this that, that, that keep being thrown out as this extra level of fear-mongering. And I, and I hate to say, like, I give up. I give in on, on, on this count. Are there negative long-term consequences for, for corona that are unique compared to the uh, compared to the seasonal flu? There might be. I don't know. 
Uh, I'm inclined to say probably not significantly, not enough that I'm going to be afraid of it. Uh, but if you are of a particularly immunocompromised uh, in, a, in a specific situation for yourself or family members, then you should look into this specifically. And it's, it's really sad that the general public has this misrepresentation of the threat. And, you know, if you want to, to decide really what's its relevance for you, you got to go do your own research for your own conditions. I, I encourage people to do that and to make informed health decisions for themselves. If there is some particular risk uh, because of your pre-existing condition, I would bet it's not that unique to coronavirus, but you probably do need to do the analysis for yourself. And that should really piss you off. Yeah. As much money as we give government and the healthcare industry that we don't have a better way of understanding this already, I mean, I'm, that's, that's, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed. Uh, Forbes.com, and, and I don't know if um, CJ being in the neighborhood of South Dakota uh, we're about to go to North Dakota. Has has a some uh, something to weigh in on here, but Forbes has the headline: One in every one thousand North Dakota residents has been killed by COVID. And you know, coming from Forbes um, and and given that this is based on government numbers, um, I'm inclined to call bullshit. In a crisis exacerbated by a shortage of healthcare workers and the lack of virus curbing measures from the state's Republican leadership. North Dakota is battling the highest COVID-19 mortality rate in the world with one in every 1,000 residents now dead from the virus. North Dakota reached the morbid milestone on Tuesday, reporting 26 new deaths, which brought the state's total to 769 out of a population of roughly 762,000, according to the 2019 census estimate. Now, again, this is reporting for everybody who's died with covid not just from it, whether this is accurate or not, I, I, I don't know, but it's it's really, again, there are people dying, and that we, you know, we don't know how to put this fully in perspective, we don't have the data, we don't have the studies that we should by now, uh, is, is really disturbing, and, and if they can, you know, even for me, they've gotten enough out of it, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm, there are known unknowns about this. I have to accept that and work around them. And, and in that sense, just by creating that confusion and even making someone like me who is putting the time in every day to try to understand this better, uh, where, where I have to acknowledge a certain amount of uncertainty and confusion and erring on the side of safety, um, I, have, I have succumbed. I am, I am as much a victim of this in that sense as anybody else. Although I think I've done a pretty good job of minimizing my, my impact on, or the impact I've accepted, I can't say that I've escaped it entirely. And it, again, it's really pissed you off. And then when you see the government doing so many things that are counterproductive with this, as we pointed out, the curfews, really curfews in New York City. Like like the city, we talked about this with Larry Sharp yesterday, great interview, a lot of fun, but curfews in New York, you're not allowed to go out in a city that never sleeps after 10 p.m. What's the effect? Oh, well, the virus only comes out after 10 p.m. So if everybody's in bed by 10 p.m., no one will get sick. No, what's the impact of that? Is it everybody who was going to go to the grocery store or the car store or the bodega between 10 and midnight now says, oh, shit, i got to be there before 10. I'm going to have a crowded situation. Maybe you just unintentionally increase transmission. And same thing with, with, you know, entrances at Walmart. You know, everybody has to go through the same door now. Well, now you're going to be in greater proximity. No, there's just a certain amount of this policy that is not just, um, you know, a violation of individual rights and an inconvenience. 
not just unscientific, but counter-scientific. Where you go, what is going on here? Are the governments trying to, are the world trying to make us less healthy? Yeah, or at least they're willing to, to serve their primary purpose. This next headline from Bloomberg Quint, outdoor exercise banned in one of the world's toughest lockdowns. South Australia began one of the world's toughest lockdowns Thursday with even outdoor exercise and dog walking banned at state price to contain a cluster of COVID-19 infections. For six days, only one person from a household will be allowed to leave home each day and only for essential reasons. Authorities said schools, universities, cafes, and restaurants are closed. Weddings and funerals are banned and mask wearing is mandatory. This is some scary shit, but just bear in mind that this is, I think, an important part of what we're doing with adverse demand and covering this, as we do with so many issues, is stepping out and getting a global perspective and seeing how different governments around the world are dealing with this differently. And... Uh, Australia has been particularly disappointing in its subservience to its government. Naturalnews.com, our friend uh, Mike Adams, this story is from Franz Walker there, uh, but this next time is also very important for international health news right now. South Korea confirms 43 dead from seasonal flu vaccinations. U.S. media buries the story. And th- th- this is not anything particularly new, but let's, let's get into the details for just a second here. South Korean authorities have reported that 83 people have died after receiving flu shots. Wow, they actually admitted that? The news comes a week after the country's health agency announced a probe on its mass vaccination program. The Korean Disease Control and Prevention Agency announced on October 31st, Saturday, that 83 people in total have died after participating in a free vaccination initiative. The government had billed the initiative as a way to offset potential complications from COVID-19. The rising deaths have deterred many from getting vaccinated with the Korean Medical Association calling for a temporary suspension of the flu shots. Authorities, however, have urged comms saying that any link was coincidental. See, when the data doesn't serve the government narrative, it's just a coincidence. When it does, oh, we can take anecdotes and call it science. This bigger problem with side effects from, from flu vaccinations has been an ongoing story uh, and hopefully we'll get uh, we'll get Ernie Hancock, who is traveling the country right now, allows to declare your independence with his vaccine truth uh, tour. We'll get him on the show to talk about this and, and the side effects from vaccinations. But this is happening all over the world. Little military implication or, or crossover story here from CNN. U.S. military reports record number of coronavirus cases. The U.S. military reported a record high number of coronavirus cases on Tuesday with 1,314 new cases. According to DOD stats, there are currently about 25,000 active COVID-19 cases in the ranks, and another 44,390 service members have received or recovered from the virus, according to the Pentagon. The number of military cases has grown over the last few weeks as case counts have increased in the general population. But are they higher in the military? Maybe the military is secretly causing coronavirus. Okay, just kidding. But clearly, a regimented environment is not enough to prevent the spread. Reuters has this next headline, update, one post-Brexit UK announces largest military investment since Cold War. Wait a second, wait a second. I thought part of the COVID story was that this was a global phenomenon, and that the whole human family was experiencing this and coming together in peace and love and brotherhood to challenge corona together square on. Why are we, what, mil- largest military spending? 
Britain has announced the biggest investment in its military since the end of the Cold War, despite the coronavirus crisis pummeling the economy as the government seeks to define its post-Brexit role on the world stage. <laughs> and I go, wait a second. Despite the coronavirus crisis pummeling the economy? No, no, no. Because the coronavirus has successfully distracted most people in the world, you know, hey, look at, look at the monkey, look at the monkey. Don't pay attention to what the left hand is doing over here. They have gotten you so distracted that, no, they can keep adding trillions of dollars of liquidity to the market as through the Fed here in the United States. They can increase military spending. Now, what is the point? What is the point of all of this? Again, the purpose of government, to keep the rich, the super rich, getting richer at the expense of the rest of us. And it's performing very well. And with a distraction like this on the scale of COVID, the effort that goes into oversight of government, even just what are you paying attention to as the general public, goes down a lot. And so this is not despite the coronavirus. This is like because of the coronavirus crisis, they're able to get away with this much more destructive policy. Prime Minister Boris Johnson wants to carve out a role for Britain as a swashbuckling leader of a new era of global cooperation and free trade backed by cutting-edge modern military and cyber capabilities. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm pointing this gun at you so that we can better cooperate. Really? When was the last time Britain had a swashbucklingly large military? I think they, what did we call them back then? Oh yeah, the British Empire, upon which the sun never sets. I, 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 swashbuckling leader, is this, is this like a British thing? In a speech to Parliament on Thursday outlining the first conclusions from the biggest review of foreign policy and defense in three decades, Johnson will announce an extra £16.5 billion, pounds, that's the equivalent of U.S. $22 million for the military over the next four years. The defense budget is now just under £42 billion pounds a year. So this is not an insignificant increase. It's a lot more money on guns and trigger pullers and the ability of government to, um, I don't know, do these things that are, are kind of bad, not really in the best interest of global cooperation and free trade. No, this is managed trade. When it's, when it's a free trade backed by cutting-edge modern military and cyber capabilities, it's not free trade. It's corporate trade. This is, this is fascist because you need a military to back up corporate policies to disadvantage individuals, to disadvantage competition. And, uh, again, to, to keep serving that primary purpose of government, to serve their corporate sponsors and keep the super rich getting richer. So I just this is, this is the next wrinkle in the government exploiting the situation with COVID. The next one comes from the New York Post. Governor Cuomo to get a $25,000 raise despite New York's $63 billion budget deficit. You know how people are dying from this pandemic and governments are struggling and, 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 and well, governments are struggling. Governments are doing just fine, but they need more help supporting the healthcare industry, which is struggling. Where doctors are quitting, we don't have the resources. We need to get more ventilators out there, even though we realize later that they're killing people being overused. But no, what do we still have money for? Raises for politicians. Governor Andrew Cuomo will be getting a $25,000 pay raise. January 21, as the state faces a massive $63 billion budget deficit owed to revenue losses tied to the coronavirus pandemic. Next headline from digiworldblog.com with Senate control hanging in balance. Crazy town cash floods Georgia. The two Georgia runoff elections may decide management of the Senate. 
that is the majority, and are of President-elect Joseph R. Biden Jr.'s means to enact a Democratic agenda are already drawing huge sums of money with greater than $125 million poured into the state in solely two weeks. Would you say just two weeks? What is pompous language from Digital World Blog? Anyway, the, uh, the simple prediction to say that, yeah, there are going to be resources flooding into Georgia. I think you're going to see even more over the next month. Um, let's see. We have uh, this headline from BBC.com, Australian War Crimes. Back to Australia. Elite troops killed Afghan civilians report fines. There is credible evidence that Australian elite soldiers unlawfully killed 39 people during the Afghan war, a long-awaited report is found. The Australian Defense Force has released findings from a four-year inquiry into misconduct by its forces. It said 19 current or ex-special forces soldiers should be investigated by police over killing of prisoners, farmers, or civilians all the way back in the 2009 to 2013 era. Um, yeah, kind of another I told you so, but there it is. All right, so now we're going to just skim through a few headlines here, whatever sort of critical time. We've got a few that we can we can wait on. Like, I, I mean, I have this story of where Americans are moving. Um, Atlantic has America's next authoritarian will be much more competent. They're not talking about Biden. They're, they're, they're still, there's still this fighting over what is Trump's legacy. Um, and here, the next headline, Associated Press, Counties with worst virus surges overwhelmingly voted Trump. U.S. voters went to the polls starkly divided on how they see President Donald Trump's response to the coronavirus pandemic. But in places where the virus is most rampant now, Trump enjoyed enormous support. And it's sort of like, well, wait a second. You want to play this stupid game of, oh, yeah, the virus cares about your politics. What we have seen in all the studies now, too, with the masks being ineffective, the lockdowns being ineffective, the virus basically doesn't care about your policies. Well, New York, Seattle here, these were the first hotspots. Clearly, the virus hates liberals. No, we're not playing this game, and it's really just kind of stupid to see how people are still trying. Even the Associated Press has lowered themselves to this point of, oh, pointing out this correlation is important. And, I mean, there is a way of looking at this where you could say, you know, people who were – uh, well, like, no, I mean, one of the myths that they're trying to get out about Corona is that cities, governments, uh, cities, counties, states that didn't lock down right away or take it seriously enough got a surge later. That's just the natural course of the virus that it went from urban areas to rural areas, and it might have zero to do with the policy. Um, but certainly there are people trying to use this uh, for, for political wrangling, and it's disgusting, frankly. Reuters has this, and this is another just piece of international news we got to cover. Hundreds detained as Belarusians chant dead protesters' last words. Belarusian police detained hundreds of people who took to the streets in mass demonstrations on Sunday chanting, I'm going out, the last known written words of an anti-government protester who died last week. A witness in the capital, Minsk, said police had used tear gas, rubber bullets, and stun grenades to disperse the crowds demonstrating against President Alexander Lukashenko. Belarus has been mired in political crisis for months. Tens of thousands of people have taken to the streets every week since an election in August that they say was rigged, something that Lukashenko denies. They want the veteran leader in power for 26 years to resign. The street rallies were reignited following the death of Roman Bondarenko, a 31-year-old anti-government protester. He died in hospital in Minsk on Thursday following what demonstrators said was a severe beating by security forces. The Interior Ministry has denied responsibility for his death, saying he was killed in a civil with civilians. Sure, sure. 
And uh, just to point this out, again, bigger picture from uh, Belarus, police have arrested thousands of people during months of protests, and rights groups say hundreds of detainees have reported being subject to beatings and other rights abuses. Just have to point this out as another danger of what we have allowed this coronaphobia crisis to become. Yes, the fear crisis, because now governments can get away with stuff like this, and we're distracted. Uh, have you been following international protests about this the way that we have? And, and even in, insufficiently here on Adam versus the Man, seeing how protests in Germany and Thailand are being oppressed and repressed and how governments are able to get away with stuff like this. So at least in this one case, we can highlight one death and say to a fellow activists, your death has not been in vain. But right now, as we lose our bandwidth for paying attention to the suppression of protesters all around the world by various governments, lots of governments, a tragic number of governments. Practically every government puts down dissent one way or another and they're within their borders. And right now our ability to look out for each other, to, to protect each other as activists and as fellow human beings is a little bit reduced. So um, thank you for all the work that you're doing to the protesters in Belarus. And please take this as a reminder to take what I've been saying for months as, as a matter of community awareness and you know helping those around you to the next level of looking out for those who are being oppressed by governments. Now, New York Post, fortunately, similar tragedy. National Guard soldier killed herself after being gang raped by colleagues, according to her mom. Yes, very disturbing headline here. Um, another thing, just, just to point this out quickly, Wall Street Journal has this, COVID era exhibits promote art as therapy. To see the visitors unsettled by the pandemic, some museums are showing works that aim to foster calm and hope. And I'll just point out that there is a, a great value to uh, stay in touch with the artistic side in this kind of strain. We have a story about another one from Ernie Chambers. I do want to cover this from Omaha, Nebraska state lawmaker, but we're going to do that when we have time to do it properly. Um, uh, let's see. What it will, uh, CJ, if I have to go early here, if Sam's about to grab me to, uh, to go get our COVID test, go ahead and show that flamethrower video from MTA that you wanted to share. Um, but let's see, what else do we have? Do we have anything that's, that's absolutely critical and sort of timely headlines? I guess, um, what, what was this one? Uh, this from the New York Post, sacred white spirit moose killed by hunters outraging indigenous population. First Nations in Canada are mourning the loss of a rare white moose, asking why anyone with a licensed hunt would choose their ghostly spirit animal, so there's that tragedy, but we have as a uh, positive counterpoint from the Associated Press, world's last known white giraffe gets GPS tracking device. Kind of an interesting pair of headlines today. And I do want to point out that if you had a, a privatization of local control of natural resources, we wouldn't be down to the last known white giraffe finally getting a GPS tracking device. No, we wouldn't have this kind of protection for natural resources long ago, and perhaps that moose would be alive if it was uh, able to, if, if the people who had an interest in it were able to protect it the same way instead of trusting government. Um, CJ, had, would, do you want to cover the ancient origin story? Aztec death whistles sound like human screams and may have been used as psychological warfare. See, I thought the story was cool. CJ thought it was cool. At least we'll have the link in the notes today. And I think that's all we have for Critical Stories, and it is about time for us to go. So let's get comment Jim Freedom up here for just a minute to check in with our audience for comments, and then we're going to sign off. 
think we got enough. Oh, yo. What do you think, Jim? Just a couple. I, I think you did great. Nobody's uh, – I think our crowd is, is pretty up on the – like Mary Wildfire. She says they talk about false negatives but yet claim there are not false positives. Shake my head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we, and, and we've been covering that a lot too. And, you know, we're going to get into this with the tests uh, because, yeah, the, the narrative of the mainstream, they only want to say, look, there's false negatives. Some of you are getting it who tested negative because you tested before the virus got to critical load in your system. Therefore, there's way more people who have it than the tests are even saying. And they're kind of leaving out that some of these tests have had as high as one-third false positive results as well. Just kind of disturbing because, you know, we're about to go take a test right now. And we might be by... Yeah, I was wondering if you're worried. Competence, ...not able to spend Thanksgiving with family members. What if they tell you you're positive? Are you worried about that? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about it, but it's sort of like it, we're, we don't have any symptoms. If we test positive, it might be that we've, we're getting over it, you know, like, and, and both Sam and I are extremely healthy and relatively young and, you know, would be most likely to be asymptomatic if we got it. So if we test positive, you know, we're going to call our host and say, hey, this is what we have to do. You want us to come? And if they say yes. We'll be there if they say take precautions uh, for our family. And, and I would say this, even if my family was way more delusional about this and they had no reason, if they said, hey, we're the host. This is our standard for hygiene. You know, and, all right, well, you know, make my position clear and choose to spend time with you anyway. But uh, then if, if they say, no, you can come but do this, then the other members of the family have to decide for themselves and we all have to manage this. And it's a shitty distraction that has blown up to be a lot more than it would have should be uh, because thanks government. But uh, I hate to sound like a status, but at this point it is what it is. You know, we go into it uh, doing our best. For sure. Well, we know you got to go, so we'll keep it short. I, I think this will be the last one. 1054 says, lick, spittle, and swashbuckle spoken <laughs> in one show. <laughs> Throwback <laughs> 30. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice yeah, lick spittle. Oh, those Trump, those Trumpkin lick spittles, swashbuckling their way to, through the administration, destroying the bureaucracy. If only that were true. Jim, any any thoughts of your own to, to wrap up today's show? I think we did a pretty good job doing a, a catch up on headlines and making yeah, sure we that got through a lot. It was very comprehensive. I, I'll just say. The only place I've ever even heard Lickspittle actually used is in a movie, All the King's Men with Sean Penn, which is a great true story movie, by the way. Uh, I don't know about full screen on that. <laughs> Just a good movie. Go ahead and watch it. Yeah, just like spittle out of here. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I think Anyways, great show. Isn't, isn't Dick Spittle the modern equivalent of Lickspittle? What? Dick Spittle seems like a much more effective insult. All right, go to AdamVersusTheMan.com. <laughs> Check out Patreon, patreon.com slash man. Check out the store. You can support the show that way as well. $10 a month gets you to the Producers Club, 15% off your orders, and free shipping at the store at AdamVersusTheMan.com. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. Also, CigarFederation.com, promo code ATAM10 gets you 10% off. And if you go to makethemdebate.com, you can check out our pro micro class. And uh, Make Some Debates have a really cool mechanism. Our de debate manager, Mercedes, would especially appreciate that. Now, very quickly, 
one piece of good news from this day in history. It was 400 years ago today. The settlers aboard the Mayflower first laid eyes on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The group of English families known today as the Pilgrims sailed aboard a Dutch cargo vessel to the New World on a grueling 10-week voyage carrying 30 crew members and 102 passengers whose desire to emigrate to America was considered audacious and risky. The refugees dared to follow the Jamestown settlers 13 years earlier, or Jamestown settlers 13 earlier who saw most of the population die within the first year. And they, these are the ones who established Plymouth Colony for this great experiment. And, and that's it for good news. I think we've covered enough today. Thank you so much for joining us. Mwah. Peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other. 